creating cultural awareness and understanding. This is Culture Click. Culture Click is written and produced by KQAL FM on the campus of Winona State University. Today on Culture Click, we're talking about the power of silver, especially when it comes to traditional Norwegian brooches and jewelry. Silver was thought to be a very powerful metal, and although it had many practical uses, it was also used to promote health and ward off evil spirits, even ones that might be trying to steal your baby. I sat down with Lorraine Gilbertson, Chief Curator at Vesterheim, the National Norwegian American Museum and Heritage Center in Decorah, Iowa. Lorraine tells us about the traditional uses for silver in Norwegian culture, as well as some of the folklore that goes along with it. I'm Bill Stoneberg with Lorraine Gilbertson on Culture Click. Uh, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting subject. You're here to talk about Norwegian silver. And uh, first of all, I was just kind of curious, how long have you been the uh, chief curator at Vesterheim and how did you get your start there? Oh, sure. Well, I've been chief curator since 2009, but I've been with the museum since 1991. And uh, I came from anthropology and uh, also from textiles and clothing. So I've had a long interest in customs, history, folklore, and of course, everything to do with clothing, including jewelry. Okay, cool. So you've been in this for a long time. What, what initially got you interested in like clothing and, and history and anthropology and stuff like that? Well, I think I realized that um, through some of those fields, there were so many opportunities to link to history and to the present stories. And what interests me most is what objects mean to the people who make and use them. Um, by themselves, they're interesting, but when you understand more about the meaning, the significance, um, technology, so many varied uh, little fingers reach out of that topic. And so I think it's just that it's um, such an exciting topic and there's so much to explore. Okay, yeah, definitely. And we're gonna hear some of that tonight, so yes. cool. Um, why is it that silver is so important in traditional Norwegian culture? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the reasons is that Norway is one of the few countries in Europe where silver is mined. Okay. So uh, where some countries consider certain materials special because they're found there or found nearby. Part of that is uh, the story of Norway, that silver is found there, and it has a very long tradition then that's connected with folklore, probably because it was found in the mountain. So okay. it's connected with um, not only uh, wealth and the, the value of silver, but also all of these cultural things and folklore. And so um, it's had a very long tradition of being considered a powerful metal. So protective for humans. Um, it was believed that you could cure illness in humans and animals, that it was just a very powerful material for a lot of reasons. And I think part of that has to do that it was found there and inside the mountains that then some of the folklore developed. Okay. Okay. So it's mined right in Nor Norway then. Right. Not so much anymore, but there's a huge mine in southern Norway um, near the city of Kongsberg. And eventually the Germans took over the management of the mine. But I think um, there had always been some pockets where it was found where someone might come across a vein on their own. But there is a big uh, mine in the south. Okay. Okay. That's pretty neat. I didn't know that, that there was silver in Norway Absolutely. like that. Wow. Um, 
Papa. And you mentioned, uh, you know, different things in folk folklore and things that uh, silver can do, you know, being protective, mm -hmm. uh, healing, good luck, things like that. Uh, what types of, what, what are some specific things about mm -hmm. silver folklore that we might not know? Sure. Well, one is that um, the silver by itself was considered to be a strong metal. So it had the power of protection and healing and so on. But it could become even more powerful if you handed it down through the family. And also if you wore it in church, it was believed that it could become more powerful. So what started out as being an important material, um, as you made it into objects, you used those, passed them down, wore them, um, they could gain even more power. Okay, okay. And then, so what kind of objects would they... Uh fashion the silver into and aware? Well, uh, the most common would be some sort of brooch or pin uh, worn at the collar of the shirt. The In the old days in rural Norway, the shirts didn't have any fasteners. So you had to have something to keep your shirt closed. So there weren't um, little buttons like we're accustomed to. Uh -huh. So one of the main functions of these was just to keep your clothes on. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so um, different kinds of pins at the neck, some of them were round, some of them um, were other shapes like a button, for example, but that was used by absolutely everybody. Children, um, everyday special occasions. There would be finger rings, um, buttons on coats, of course, um, buckles for shoes or men's knickers. Uh, you would also have silver trim on knives that would be carried by men, both for usefulness. You could cut something if you needed to quickly, but also um, there would be fancy ones that you would wear with your nice clothes, okay. uh, fancy knives. So um, kind of a, not only a functional item, but a kind of a, almost a clothing accessory, I guess. Okay. And the Norwegians didn't do much with earrings, but otherwise almost anything else you can imagine. And maybe not so much for bracelets, but also crowns for oh, brides, sure. um, all sorts of bridal finery, lockets, pendants, that okay. kind of thing too. Okay, cool. So it wasn't just for special occasions. It was all around use. Huh? All around, all the time, every day, everybody. Absolutely. Okay, okay. And that was something else I was going to ask about. Does it have anything to do with, like, social status? Like, you know, different types of objects you would have made out of silver or how much you have? Or? Absolutely. It's the how much you have and how big, how elaborate. So uh, people who would be a lower class would probably have smaller pieces, maybe less uh, decorative pieces, and maybe the pieces they had were more often passed down or you wouldn't be as likely perhaps to be able to purchase one or acquire one. But if you were in a higher status, you would have more pieces, bigger pieces, more dangles, more elaborate. Um, and so you could often tell visually the status of a person in a community because um, you, of course, would be showing off a certain degree of wealth that way. Right, right. So then... Uh would they also be used, you know, you mentioned everyday use and special occasions. Would they be used for ceremonies or rituals, anything like that? or A little bit, especially at weddings. And it would be more the extra and special clothing to mark that it was a wedding. But also um, some of these folklore beliefs that were in place. Um, as a person changed status from single to married 
or also for babies when they went from heathen, um, unchristian, to being baptized, there's that moment as you would change status that they believed that you were in great danger from a variety of um, supernatural uh, forces and some other kinds of threats in the world. And so uh, at baptism, christenings, and also weddings, it was important for the people involved to wear extra silver to help them in that very dangerous moment that they had no status. You know, for just the briefest moment, you had no status. And so um, that was considered a, a dangerous time. And for babies, too. Um, being christened in the church provided a lot of protection to the baby. And so it was traditional in rural areas in the past that you would um, have babies baptized within a few days if possible and um, and take other precautions, like maybe a little pin on their clothing. You might put scissors in bed with the baby. It sounds oh, wow. terrible, <laughs> but it was metal, and it was considered important to protect the baby. Maybe you would um, tuck a coin into their bedclothes, something metal. Silver was, of course, better but some sort of metal to help protect the child. So it wasn't so much that the um, that there were actual pieces in use in a ritual, more so than people needed to dress specially for some of these rituals. Okay, okay, and use that metal to mm-hmm. for protection. Exactly. Okay, okay. Um, so you talked about protection, you know. Um, what about the healing properties? Do they, do they believe in any kind of healing properties from silver? Right, and I think it was often um, the kind of thing where it having silver and wearing silver was, was a healthy thing. Um, I haven't located through my own research very many examples of using silver to heal something specific. However, I've heard references to that. So I'm sorry I don't have any specific examples for you, but... Um, it would it often it was healing in that it would protect um, so then you wouldn't need the healing later so a lot of emphasis seems to be on the protecting and preventing different kinds of harm by using the silver okay okay so uh, more of a preventative measure then right that 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 was its best use and so um, unfortunately I don't know very many examples of using it as a cure Mm -hmm. but certainly as a preventive it was um, there are um, different kinds of stories that that folklorists call legends and those are the ones that tell you what to do or else and why and so those are some of the really good sources for us to look at for some of this because for example um, with those babies, uh, and part of this comes out of a time when people didn't have any other way to explain why babies would die in the night or why a baby that seemed healthy suddenly became ill. So there was no other way to explain this other than some of these underworld creatures. But um, if you didn't take precautions and you found that your baby had been swapped with a baby from an underworld creature or a troll baby, um, they called them changelings, um, there were steps that you could take to get your baby back. And one would be to sort of pretend to threaten the baby. Um, And then the stories say, well, then maybe the troll woman would rush in and say, oh, well, here's your baby back. I've never treated him as badly as you've treated mine. So um, those legends tell us about the importance of taking these precautions, because if you didn't, then it would often be kind of a challenge later to undo the damage you've done by not following these important cultural prescriptions. Wow. 
Oh, that's pretty interesting. Threaten the baby, huh? Yeah, exactly. And again, you wouldn't de- hurt the baby, but you would you would sort of pretend like you were go- like. For, well, for example, you might place the baby um, too close. Well, that doesn't sound very good. Too close to the fire, or you might pretend to mistreat the baby, um, and then that is supposed to help. Um, get its real mother to come and swap him back. Um, but it, it would be frightening. And I suppose if, if we're talking about um, four and 500 years ago when you didn't have ways to explain things, um, that this was something you could do to try to protect your child. Right. Okay. Okay. And I, you know, I also read something about uh, it being like conductive and, and uh, using gemstones in com- combination with silver to uh, kind of absorb the healing properties or protective or whatever of the gemstone? Did they do things like that? In Norway, not as much. Um, there weren't great sources of gemstones in Norway. There was something similar to garnet that you see sometimes, redstones. But because um, there was so much silver, I think in Norway, it was much more about just the silver itself. However, other cultures have used um, different kinds of stones, precious stones, whether it's lapis or jade or different things for healing purposes, and that um, the combinations are believed to have um, additional functions. But in Norway, it tended to be primarily the silver. Okay, okay, all about the silver. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> were there were there special methods used at all to create any of the objects? or? Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are common to jewelry being made in lots of places in the world. Um, for example, casting, where you create a negative of that and pour molten metal in. Um, one of the techniques that was very common is called chasing, and you work the metal from the front side. So there were um, steel blocks with, oh, you could, I guess you could call them small bowls shaped into it, and then you'd put the metal over the top, and you'd take a tool with a little ball end and pound that onto the metal to create a little bowl. And those are very common on Norwegian brooches as dangles. So that's something you see a lot of, is different dangling ornaments on the brooches. Um, Another very popular technique in Norway is filigree, when you take wires and you twist them and bend them and shape them. Uh, And that's a technique that came actually from the Far East over many years and ended up in Norway and the Norwegians have really loved that and so traditionally you see a lot of filigree in the jewelry of uh, the past in rural Norway. Okay, Okay. wow. Um, And then, you know, I also read something else, you know, I don't know if I'm way off base here, but uh, I also read that silver is the mirror to the soul. Did they have any kind of beliefs like that or, you know, specific things about silver? Not so much in Norway, but I think that's one of the exciting things about silver and actually jewelry and clothing, too, is that there are so many different aspects globally and that there are often parallels, like this idea of... um, protection or about portable wealth that you know in in many countries because um, war might disrupt you or natural disasters you need to have some wealth that you can carry with you quickly that's a a very common idea Um, and so in Norway the mirror to the soul maybe wasn't as strong a belief another one that wasn't as strong in Norway but is in other cultures is this idea of the evil eye which is about envy and jealousy where in some cultures you wear either metal or certain motifs or certain colors to ward off the evil eye, which is something, um, especially with babies, you you are concerned that other people's envy and jealousy of your baby might harm the baby. And so it's not so much in Norwegian tradition, but in other cultures, that's an important element. 
Okay, okay, but not so much in Norway. Okay, interesting. Um, <laughs> are there any like uh, beliefs that Norwegians had about silver, or, or concepts that they had about it that would maybe surprise people? I mean, beyond the protecting of the baby or threatening the baby. Well, and it it might be that just how important protection was for most people every day um, might surprise people. The other is how often silver items were given as gifts. Um, For example, silver spoons. Um, Today we might think, oh well, perhaps you'd give a gift of a silver spoon to someone at a wedding or maybe an anniversary, but it was actually quite common in the past in Norway to give gifts of silver spoons to babies. And I think that was partly that idea that we're giving you an investment towards your future. So like we would give someone a, uh, a bond, savings bond for the child, um, the silver spoon could do that. And I think people didn't worry so much that all their spoons matched, but it was a, um, a little bit of an expensive gift and something very nice that would stay through the person throughout their lifetime. And so we would probably be surprised that if you had a baby that one of the common gifts would be a nice silver spoon that might support and and full-sized like a soup spoon that would be what it would be oh wow yeah you always think of those little spoons you know it's not so much for the baby to use but more of an investment for their lifetime okay so then is that something they would carry with them and, and pass down then absolutely and it's the kind of thing that we very often saw coming to america with immigrants that um it was very common um, at immigration, and this would be late 1800s, early 1900s, um, people would bring things they would need on the voyage and need for their new life, and it was very common to bring silver, partly because those pieces had been important to them in Norway, but partly because there was an intrinsic value, and they knew if things got bad, they could sell that for the value of the silver. And so many, many, many spoons came along, brooches, and all of these other pieces, and based on the number that have survived in museum collections like ours, and in families, I think a lot of people, either they brought so much they were able to sell some or things went well for them. And so those have now um, made their way into families' collections and museum collections. Right. Okay, cool. Do you guys, at, uh, at Vesterheim, do you guys have a lot of silver in the collection? Or? We do, yes. And it's a wide range of things. We have um, ordinary, kind of basic, very plain um, shoe buckles to any number of buttons to, of course, lots of brooches. We have some crowns in our collection. And um, almost, I would imagine, anything that had been made out of silver at one point came with somebody, whether it's a drinking tankard or um, these nice uh, silver spoons, including sometimes uh, serving spoons that would be, oh, I don't know, um, nine inches uh, just the bowl of it would be nine inches. Some of them are giant serving spoons that would have been used at weddings and um, special occasions that came along with immigrants as well. Okay, cool. So you guys got quite a collection then. We do have a nice collection. Okay. So uh, if anyone out there wants to uh, investigate some of the silver stuff that uh, came over with uh, Norwegians, uh, you can go to Vesterheim, which is in Decorah, Iowa. And uh, yeah, if if someone wants to learn more about silver and its like place in Norway culture, um, how would they go about doing that? Oh, there's some different options, um, certainly. Um, unfortunately, some of the options are in Norwegian, which doesn't help okay. all of your listeners, I'm sure. sure. Um, but there are some um, different things that have been done in English, um, books about uh, folk art in Norway that often includes silver. So there's a book, for example, by Janice Stewart called The Folk Arts of Norway that's been uh, printed 
three different times and might be widely available to readers. Um, they could certainly contact us at Vesterheim and we can recommend some other things. Um, and um, there's also a website by a Norwegian silversmith. His uh, last name is Sando, S-A-N-D-O. And there could be an internet search for him, um, Silversmith Sando or Goldsmith Sando. And his website has a lot of different um, brooch styles and some of the folklore information on that. So that might be an easy way for people to find out a little bit more. Okay, okay. Is, uh, is there still a lot of silver stuff made in Norway then? Yes, and uh, a wide range. So you see very traditional pieces that look just like the old ones from the 1700s. And you also see lots of contemporary things, um, smoother shapes. Uh, there's even an artist who's making some of these uh, traditional styles, but out of plastic. So there's a huge range of things from tr- traditional to contemporary going on today in Norway. Oh, cool. That's really neat. I like that. Um, so how can people, if, if people want to find out more about Vesterheim and come and visit, uh, how can they find more out? Oh, sure. Visit our website. That's an easy thing. Uh, Vesterheim.org. V-E-S-T-E-R-H-E-I-M.org. Uh, you can also call us, 563-382-9681. We're open daily, year-round, and uh, some of our silver is always on display. We have a special spot in the museum that includes some crowns and spoons and brooches and other good things. Cool. Great. Well, I've been here with uh, I've been here with Lorraine Gilbertson. She's the chief curator of Vesterheim. It's the National Norwegian American Museum and Heritage Center, and it's in Decorah, Iowa. Thanks so much for being with us today. It's my great pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Thanks again to Lorraine Gilbertson for joining us today on Culture Click. For more information about Vesterheim and traditional Norwegian culture, go to Vesterheim.org. To stream today's show or any other episode of Culture Click, go to kqal.org and look for program archives under the media tab. I'm Bill Stoneberg, and we've been talking to Loran Gilbertson on Culture Click. Creating cultural awareness and understanding. You've been listening to Culture Click. Support for Culture Click is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Culture Click is produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. For more information, look us up on the web at kqal.org. And thanks for listening to Culture Click. Do you want to know about all things Winona and the surrounding area? Tune in to Culture Click Thursdays at 1230 right here on 89.5 KQAL. Culture Click is made possible by a grant from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. <laughs>